The Apostle Paul wrote one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible to Titus, one of his spiritual sons and travel companions. In Titus chapter 2, Paul exhorted his protege to live a godly life and wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. So Paul admonished Titus to eagerly anticipate the return of Jesus, which has been the believer's blessed hope and a central doctrine of the Christian faith for the past two millennia. But unfortunately, this message has lost much emphasis in our generation, and it's even become controversial. Joining me later by video link is Pastor Derek Walker, who has extensively studied the topic and will be sharing more about the blessed hope of our faith. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. In Titus 2.13, the Apostle Paul exhorted us to watch for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of Jesus the Messiah. Understanding the coming again of Jesus is critically important and centers around an event that could happen at any moment. Many believers sense the time of the Lord's return is indeed near. I personally believe in the Bible doctrine called the rapture. That means the sudden catching away of the church before the great tribulation, because I don't believe that the church and the Jewish nation are the same. You see, since the day of Pentecost, there have been three groups of people in the world, the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church. Each group is separate, although the church itself is comprised of both believing Jews and former Gentiles, making up what Ephesians 2.15 calls a new species in the earth, the one new man. But because the church is not physical Israel per se, it's a distinct mystical body of Messiah with Jesus as our head. The church, which means the called out ones, was birthed on the day of Pentecost, and the church will be completed at the time of the rapture when the fullness of the Gentiles is completely fulfilled. Now, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul revealed that the church is a mystery that was hidden in God during the days of the Hebrew Scriptures. To paraphrase Paul, the church is a parenthesis in history. In the beginning, God raised up the nation of Israel to be his people, but sadly Israel rejected the Messiah, even though Jesus appeared specifically at the moment in history that was prophesied for him in Daniel chapter 9. God in his mercy thereafter extended salvation to the Gentiles, calling out a group of both believing Jews and believing Gentiles called the church. And when God is satisfied with the full number in the church, and when the travail of Messiah's soul is satisfied, the church, the bride of Messiah, will be completed and then removed from the earth. And afterward, God will restore Israel to himself, for he has the power to do it, and because he is a covenant-keeping God. Now, in the Hebrew scriptures, the Jewish nation didn't know about the mystery of the church. 
The church is actually one of 18 mysteries mentioned in the New Testament. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We individual believers are living stones of God's temple. You see, that's why the church is unique and distinct from Israel. Messiah in us, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit has been calling out people into the church body for nearly 2,000 years. But soon, the day will come when the Lord will remove the completed church. And then, to use the Apostle Paul's analogy, Israel will be grafted back into God's olive tree during the time of Jacob's trouble. You see, in Romans 11.25, Paul the Apostle made an important statement. He said, brethren in the church, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that a partial blindness has happened to Israel, but only until the fullness of the Gentiles is completed. The very fact that Paul draws a distinction between Israel and the church proves that there is indeed a difference between the two. The church uniquely began at Pentecost, and it will be completed at the rapture, and then Israel will be grafted back in and will become the head of the nations during the millennial rule of Messiah Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. And I believe we're living in the general time known as the fullness of the Gentiles when the church age is wrapping up and then Israel will be revived. Now concerning the doctrine called the rapture, the apostle Paul revealed it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Messiah will rise first. After that, we who are still alive on the earth will be caught up together with the resurrected believers in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will forever be with the Lord. Therefore, Paul says at the end of, the, of that chapter, we should encourage one another with these words. But in the meantime, it's our duty to fulfill the Great Commission and to win as many souls as possible in the remaining times of the Gentiles. But preachers who talk about the church continuing say hundreds of years from now, as if the second coming is vaguely far away in the future, well, they're just out of touch with the reality of Bible prophecy. They simply don't understand the times that we're privileged to be living in. And in the meantime, do you think God is trying to get our attention? Absolutely. The Lord of the harvest wants to draw as many souls as possible into the kingdom of God before it's too late. And here's something extremely important to contemplate. To maintain the imminent aspect of the Lord's sudden appearing, many Bible prophecy watchers believe that the biblical and prophetic event called the rapture has to take place sometime before God intervenes in the future war described in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. And the nations that will be involved in that war are already in alignment. Let me ask you this, if the Lord should suddenly return for his bride today or tonight, would you be ready to go with him? Anybody who calls himself or herself a believer in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life is instructed in the New Testament to check ourselves out to be sure that we're truly following the Lord and that we're not just a believer in name only or an almost believer or somebody who's lukewarm in our faith because Jesus warned us in Luke 21, 36 to watch and pray always, not sometimes, but pray always that we'll be counted worthy through his righteousness to escape all these awful events that will soon come to pass. 
for the Bible promises true and faithful believers who happen to be alive at his appearing and who have endured in their faith that we are not appointed to experience God's end time wrath that will be poured out upon the whole world. Now, if you're living without hope or if you're confused about the end times, we invite you to listen further to what our guest on today's program has to share with us in part two of an internet interview concerning the soon coming event called the rapture of the church. Now the word rapture does not appear in English translations of the Bible. The concept is surely here in the Bible in the Greek word hapazo, which means to be caught up, snatched from this earth at the sudden appearance of the Lord to take us to glory. Now, by video link, I want to explore the rapture topic in more detail with Pastor Derek Walker, and I believe he's one of this generation's most thorough Bible teachers. And as a chronologist with a mathematics degree from Oxford University, Derek also has a tremendous grasp on the Bible's timetable for the future end-time events as outlined in the Word of God. His latest book, The Pre-Tribulation Rapture, presents a detailed study of events prophesied in both the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament. Derek is joining us now by internet from Oxford, and I want to start by mentioning to Derek that I posted the word Maranatha on my Facebook wall, and most evangelicals know that Maranatha is a New Testament Greek word meaning, Our Lord Come. Every believer who's looking fervently for the Second Coming can cry Maranatha from the heart. But one of my Facebook friends commented, sorry, I have trouble saying Maranatha because I know too many unsaved people. Of course, I understood his sentiment because as an evangelist, I also want to win as many souls as possible into the fullness of the Gentiles. However, it was the Apostle Paul himself who exclaimed Maranatha in 1 Corinthians 16, 22. I don't think any believer would claim to be above the spirituality of the Apostle Paul Yet some believers today just don't think it's appropriate to exclaim, Oh Lord, come! Are they just too tied to this world? Pastor Derek, what is your response to professing believers who simply are not eager for the Lord's return? You know, yes, it's, it's very... I think, first of all, I think they do not realize what, uh, how terrible it will be. It will not... Yes, we, we should not be cowards we should be ready to suffer and die for jesus if necessary but um i don't think they've really taken on board the fact that the tribulation is a time of the wrath of god and we are not meant to experience the wrath of god um and of course it is technically possible that jesus could protect us you know as in the days of moses uh, he could kind of keep us in a bubble of protection uh, so that we don't experience the wrath of God, rather like the the Israelites were, were there in Egypt, but the plagues didn't affect them. But when Jesus described the rapture and the tribulation, he said it wasn't as in the days of Moses. He said it will be as in the days of Noah. What happened in the days of Noah? He, the believers were physically separated from the rest of the world put they went into the ark and then they as it were rose above the waters of judgment and it he said also it will be as in the days of lot lot was removed from the scene of judgment before judgment fell and so it's just the biblical teaching i mean if god required us to go through the tribulation fine we would do it but um he does he isn't 
he, he requires us to suffer right now if necessary, but he is going to deliver us. And there are scriptures like Revelation 3.10 and Luke uh, 24.36 that explicitly say that he will deliver us from that final time of trial, which is the time of God's wrath. And so we just need to stay with the Bible. It's not about how macho you are and how, you know, oh, I'm not afraid of the Antichrist. That's not the issue. And, and I always say, look, if Christ or any bridegroom, a mighty, powerful king, and he's come to, to take over uh, his kingdom from a bunch of rebels who've usurped his authority, and, and he's about to bombard that city, and he's about to evict those rebels, and it's going to take a few years to do it. Um, and his bride is there in that city. Will he not extract her if it's in his power to do that? Will he not extract her before he starts bombarding that city? I think it's, it's, it's really unbelief in the love of the bridegroom to, to believe that he's going to expect the, the bride to suffer through those bombardments. And so the bottom line is not whether we're, how, you know, we're better Christians because we're, we're willing to go through the tribulation. It's just about what Jesus actually promised us. He promised that he will deliver us from the wrath to come. Well, I certainly agree that we should be willing to endure all things for the Lord's sake, but the time of the great tribulation will be so horrific and so unprecedented, as the book of Revelation surely reveals, that we should pray to be able to escape these horrors to come. I also appreciate that in your ministry you emphasize the imminent return of the Lord, a doctrine that has sadly been neglected in recent decades. Many pastors simply are not preaching imminency. But it's so clear that the rapture is imminent, whereas the second coming is clearly signposted. What do you say to believers who seem to embrace the great tribulation? In fact, I know of one prominent believer who has written a book boasting that he's not afraid of the Antichrist. You know, I, I can understand uh, his reason, but uh, nevertheless, uh, if we use the, the romantic analogy to understand it, in fact, it, the measure of how much a, a bride loves her bridegroom can be measured by how eagerly excited and expectant she is to be reunited with him. She is, if she's truly in love with him, she will want to be with him. Okay. Uh, yes, she wants to be faithful doing the work. And, and really it's, it's, it's above our pay grade to, to decide, you know, that's Jesus's decision. That's the father's decision when he's going to come. It's not for us to to be concerned about. We will be faithful until he does come. But for ourselves personally, we, if we don't have that excitement that he's coming, are we really in love with him? Do, do we love him? And in fact, Hebrews 9.28 puts it all very well. He says, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And so Christians here are actually defined. You know, there are different ways of defining Christians, those who call on the name of the Lord and, and other such ways. But here, a true born again believer is defined by the fact that they eagerly await his coming. And because a Christian is one who loves the Lord. And so if somebody doesn't have that, that is, that is a major 
problem. That's a major issue. Jesus is wanting to come. Can you imagine a bridegroom? He's making this journey. He's going to surprise his bride. And when he arrives, she's rather disappointed, actually, that he's turned up so soon. She would rather have had a bit more time to finish off whatever she wants to do. It, it does not reflect a love for God. When you look at the prophecies of, as it were, the coming of the Lord, you see that it is in two stages. Uh, this shouldn't be a strange thought. For instance, what about the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah? Now, uh, it's true that the, the, many of the Jews and the, the Orthodox Jews today, they just assume it's all going to happen at the same time. And as Jesus pointed out, the, the prophecies have two aspects to them, the sufferings and the glory, that, that Christ will come the first time to suffer and die for our sins, for our salvation. And the second time he's going to come, as it were, to, to take over the earth as, as the king. So we understand there are two kinds of prophecy. And of course, we know that they happened in two stages. So it shouldn't be strange, as it were, that the same is true concerning the second coming. And what we see is that, again, there are two types of prophecies. The prophecy, for instance, that we read out with in Thessalonians, where he comes for for his 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 saints and he takes them and he resurrects them uh, and then there are of course the prophecies as well and and so that the first one is to do with salvation the completion of our salvation the second one is about him taking over the earth uh, coming as the king as the judge of the earth so you've got two very different things so there's no doubt there's two kinds of prophecies so some of the classic contrasts is the, in the when one he comes for his church it's for believers only in the second coming um he comes in power and glory and the whole world sees him um uh, it, he comes for his church in the rapture he comes with his church in the second coming and um it, it says that for, he comes for our salvation in the rapture but he comes to establish the kingdom in the second coming he comes to save his church in the rapture and in the second coming actually he's coming to save israel at the battle of armageddon save israel from destruction because by that point israel will be in faith in one coming he comes to the air and we rise to meet him in the air and we go back to heaven in the other coming we come from heaven with him to the earth in fact if you read in revelation 19 the church is in heaven the bride is in heaven and she is now married, she's called the wife, she follows Jesus in his second coming. So the direction of movement is opposite in both cases. In the rapture, it's, the movement is from earth to heaven. In the second coming, the, the movement's from heaven to earth. And so um, in, the, in, the, in the rapture, Jesus is described as the thief in the night. Now, a thief doesn't come to take over the house. The thief comes to take the valuables from the house. Who are the valuables? It's his precious believers. He comes to take, and the world will experience it as a thief because a billion believers will have disappeared. Um, but the thief doesn't come to take over the house. Now, he's not really a thief, by the way, but because he's just taking what belongs to him. But the world will, will, it will appear to the world as if a thief had come. Uh, but in the second coming, he doesn't come as a thief. He comes as the Lord of the house to take over the house and kick out the, the wrongful um, ones who have been destroying the house. 
Considering everything that's been happening during the coronavirus pandemic, how close do you think we are to the rapture? And what's your view on vaccines related to the dreaded mark of the beast mentioned in the book of Revelation? I'm, I'm not one who will quickly jump on a conspiracy theory, if you know what I mean. But uh, because, uh, you know, often these things get hyped up. Um, I do think that this virus, uh, coronavirus situation is unprecedented, clearly, in the way uh, all the governments of the world have reacted. Um, I do, you know, if you were to compare it to earlier viruses that did far more damage, than, than this one. Um, but nevertheless, it, it definitely is setting the stage for the tribulation. I can see that because, because you can see how even just this virus, which as I say, isn't as bad as some of the historical viruses, um, even the, the way it's caused, um, you know, certain rights to be removed and you can you can you can see how something like this combined with much worse events and the tribulation actually taught you know it will be far worse you know it won't just be the a virus a pandemic it will be world war a pandemic violent earthquakes famines financial crisis all at the same time i mean it will be on a totally different scale and you can we can see how already just with this virus how people are willing to submit to totalitarian rule. Um, you know, I am not blaming the government myself in this. I think, you know, that the motives on the whole, you know, are to save people's lives. But nevertheless, you can see how Big Brother government could easily take advantage of such a situation, but multiplied by a hundred. And, and you can see how the scenario in the book of Revelation could easily take place. So I do see this as part of the setting. In fact, for the last hundred years, the stage has been set since World War I, I believe. However, I do not believe we're there yet. I know that some people are afraid that if they take a vaccine, um, you know, maybe they're taking the mark of the beast, you know. Um, and I want to assure people that they're not number one the mark of the beast will not come in until after the rapture uh, number two those who take the mark of the beast will immediately uh you know be assigned to help i mean there, there is no escape it is a it is a total eternal death sentence if you take the mark of the beast so in other words you can't be tricked into taking the mark of the beast if you take the mark of the beast and, and it's very clear and if you look at all the scriptures on the mark of the beast it always in conjunction with it is the worship of the image of the beast in other words in order to take the mark you will have to worship the beast you, you will have to renounce your faith in god if you have any and you will have to as it were, say, Antichrist is my God. And then you will be allowed to receive this mark by which you can buy or sell. That's Revelation 13 and, and 14 in particular. So whatever uh, vaccine comes along, it is not the mark of the beast. Now, I'm not against vaccines in general. Um, it may be that they'll come up with a perfectly good vaccine and, and there's no trickery there. Um, Maybe some people are talking about that, but that's, you know, people who want a kind of global government. But I, I, it may be that they can't make their plans happen right now because the Bible says right now the church is a restrainer. The Holy Spirit through the church is restraining that stuff. Uh, 
So although it's moving that way, it can't actually happen while we're here. Um, but, you know, if a vaccine came out that, say, for instance, had a chip in it that um, maybe gave your location or, or some other information about you, then, of course, that wouldn't be the mark of the beast, just, just that. Then you would have to make a decision. Uh, as to, am I willing to give up this civil liberty because I need to travel? They won't let me travel otherwise. I mean, that will be then a, a decision people will have to make. But it's not the mark of the beast. But one would, if it was more than just a simple vaccine, one would need to to think seriously: Am I willing to 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 do this? But um, I think that there is a lot of fear, unnecessary fear. Uh, it definitely is a sign that the, that the tribulation is getting closer. And the, I think our number one response is in Luke twenty one twenty eight. Jesus said, when you see these things, and the things he was talking about is all the stuff that will happen in the tribulation. He says, when you see these things begin to happen, in other words, in the time before the tribulation, you will see the beginnings of these things. And, and a pandemic is, is just one example of that. When you see these, the big, these things begin to happen, what should you do? Go into panic mode? No, actually, get excited. Because, he says, lift up your eyes, look up, because your redemption draws near. In other words, that means the rapture, if the tribulation is getting closer, then the rapture is getting even closer. You, the redemption of your body is near. You're, you're going to enter into glory. You're going to meet Jesus. That should be our primary reaction. Yes, we need to be aware what's going on. We need to be wise. Um, there are sinister forces at work, absolutely. But our, our number one focus needs to be on the Lord Jesus Christ and finding what he wants us to do and doing it with all our heart so that he'll be pleased with us when he actually does return. He will find us eagerly waiting and anticipating his, his wonderful return for us. Pastor Derek Walker of Oxford Bible Church, thanks so much for sharing with us about the blessed hope of the soon appearing of Jesus. I wish we had more time today to tackle this topic, which was originally planned to be a conference in England with you, but perhaps in the future we'll be able to arrange another gathering. In the meantime, I recommend Derek Walker's new book, The Pre-Tribulation Rapture, which gives a more thorough study into this important subject. But urgently, I must encourage everybody watching this program and listening within the sound of my voice to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, the world's only Savior, while there's yet time. The door of salvation is open and there's still room at the cross for you. But don't forget, Jesus said he's coming when you're not expecting him. So stay alert. And in the meantime, I also want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, which continually reports on Bible prophecy and end time events, especially as they relate to the church and to the nation of Israel. And at our website, exploits.tv, and at our Jerusalem Channel YouTube website, we also have a helpful library of videos available 24-7. And we invite you to sign up for our free electronic newsletter, Exploits. Daniel 11.32 declares that the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and will carry out exploits, meaning that we're going to accomplish the works of the Lord in the remaining time that we have left before His imminent return. These are tremendously exciting and spiritually weighty days. 
Let's stay in touch on your phones or tablets via our free Jerusalem Channel app. And if you have any questions, feel free to contact me on social media. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Daring. Shalom and Maranatha.